Good morning. It's so good to be with you. Gloria and I have thoroughly enjoyed um, being with you this weekend. Um, Larry and Nancy, thank you for having us in your home and for uh, Bouncy Oscar, too. We've thoroughly enjoyed the three of you. And uh, it's just been really good. We've heard about your church. We were blessed to receive uh, several from your church as part of our ministry in Albania. Two different summers, some came to, to be with us and help us out with our ministry there, our, our, our summer camps. And so thank you for that. Um, you know, let's see. Uh, I'm not going to embarrass you, Kyla, Kristen, Amanda, and Meredith. But where, where are you? I, I'm not going to call out your name. See, yeah, here we are. You know, we, we, they, they were concerned because they were chose to represent all of you at our table. But you know why. You know, coming to Global is in your future. I, I see it. I see it. But see, the, the, the blessing for us is, what, is that these young ladies introduced us to uh, Cherry Garcia. Ben and Jerry's at this ice cream, and, and, and it just happens that it's Larry's favorite. He almost let us have a little bit. He didn't let his wife have any. Nancy didn't get any, but, but uh, we got a little bit. Thank you. Uh, it's really been good, good to be with you. We've, we've thoroughly enjoyed it, and um, I'm really excited to open God's Word with you all this morning. So I want to ask you to turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. And in this chapter, Peter encourages the people of God that were scattered abroad and reminds them of who they really are. He reminds them of their identity and their calling as a missional people and a missional church. How many of you uh, saw years ago a movie came out that we watched with our kids called Princess Diaries? Who wants to admit having watched that? Okay. Well, it's about this teenage girl, I guess she was 15 or something, and she's just kind of this klutzy uh, girl in California or somewhere, and she finds out, she was just with, with her mom, a single mom, she finds out that her dad had been a prince, had been a king of, what was it? Uh, Genovia, thank you. See, I didn't somebody watch that movie. So, so, so she's the princess and the heir apparent to Genovia, and she meets her grandmother, who's this very opposite of her, very dignified. Julie Andrews, you know, and just, just, and, and, and you see the transformation in this girl when she discovers that she's a princess, and you see her transformed because she realized who she really was, and that identity, she had to learn what that meant, but by the end of the movie, she's a different person, and she has become what she truly was, a princess, and the same is true for you and me as God's people. If we can truly understand who we are, not just who we think we are, but if we understand who we are in Jesus Christ and the implications of that, it will radically transform how we act and what we do and how we say and what we say. And that is the message in this book that Peter has. If we look at the very beginning of this book, first in 1 Peter chapter 1, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, Strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. So Peter is writing to Christ followers who were scattered. They, they were in a lot of different places. They were foreigners and, and, and pilgrims and, and resident aliens in different countries. And he writes them to encourage them and to remind them of their true identity. Very often when we're in a different culture, in a different country, we're, we're confused about who we are. 
those of us that grew up in different cultures and our, our passport country and our growing up country are different often have these identity crises. Who am I? Where am I from? And that's what these people were living. And, and he writes them to say, let me remind you who you are. So as we get to chapter 2, he's reminded them of who Christ is. And he's the, the living stone. And he's saying they're a chosen people. Let's start reading in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6. I'm sorry, verse, uh, let's start in verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of His visitation. Verse 13, Submit yourself to the Lord for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether the king is a supreme authority or the governors, who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but not use your freedom to cover up evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the king. And he continues giving them instructions about what it means to live out that calling in a pagan world, wherever that might be, in the different cultures and situations where they found themselves. Peter is saying in these verses that our identity and our calling clarify that God made us as a missional people, a missional church. As we open the Word this morning and look at our identity in Jesus Christ and our calling in Jesus Christ in this passage, Let's just pause for another moment and pray to the God that we just worshipped and ask that His Spirit would be free to move among us. Are, are you really willing to hear what God has to say to you? Each one of us is in a different place in our walk with Him, in a different place in life. But the awesome thing about God's Word is it just hits us where we are, doesn't it? And that's my prayer for you this morning. So let's just take a minute and make sure our hearts are prepared not just to listen, but to respond to our Lord whom we have worshipped. Let's pray together. And so, our Father, we come as your people today. We need you so much. We need your word to remind us who we are. Father, we would ask that your Holy Spirit would be free to move among us, to, to encourage us, to, to convict us, to remind us of truth. And Father, may we be changed, because that's always the object of your word. May we understand what we need to change this morning in our way of thinking, in our way of seeing ourselves, in our way of seeing you, in our way of seeing the world. May you work in our hearts and minds and in our community as we together come to your word this morning. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, our cornerstone, we thank you. Amen. In God's eyes, who are we? 
That is a fundamental question that we need to know and believe the answer to. So here's Peter writing to people in exile. They were a minority. How many of you have lived at one time or another in another country besides your birth country? How many of you here were born in another country besides the U.S.? A few. Those of you or those of us that have done that, I, I've, I've kind of always been a foreigner. <laughs> Wherever I am, I'm one of those third culture kids. TCKs, they call us that, you know, we, we, I was born in the U.S., but I was two, we went to Central America. So I grew up knowing I looked different from all my Honduran friends, but thinking I was Honduran. And then I come to the States where I look like everybody, but I don't feel like everybody. And I don't think like everybody. And then since I was confused enough, I take my kids, my son born in Honduras, my daughter born in the U.S., their mom from El Salvador, their dad that doesn't know where he's from, and we go to Albania for 13 years. <laughs> so there's probably nowhere in this world that I feel totally like, yeah, this is where I belong. You know, that could be a good thing, because as our text says this morning, our identity isn't our passport. So put yourself in the shoes for a moment of, of, of the recipients of this letter. They're foreigners living in a country that's not their own. They, had, they were scattered because of persecution. They were a despised minority. Okay? People looked down on them, maybe didn't want to give them work, called them names. Probably discouraged, trying to figure out who they were, how they fit in. God, what are you doing here? And the word of God through Peter comes in this letter to encourage them. And what he does is he reminds them who they are. In this short passage, there's at least 11 different identifying adjectives or nouns that say who these people are. And he's identifying who the, who the people of God are. And as we're going to look at this passage, I want you to see it not just as individuals, but as community. We live in a very individualistic society where we think about me and God. But this is a passage about us. In God, it's about our identity as God's people. Yes, it's my personal identity, but I can't find that as an individual. I find that in community with my brothers and sisters who are called with me. So we can't go into all 11 of these, or, or Mark would be uh, escorting me down. <laughs> but we're going to look at some of these, at least briefly all of them, but, but some of them more in particular. Let, let's start in verse 9. What are these identifiers? The first one of at least 11 that are in here, he says, but you are a chosen people. You know, there's a lot of power packed into those two words. It means that we've been elected with a purpose within God's redemptive plan. It's about God choosing. It's not about me. So understood properly, this crushes my pride. He didn't choose me because of any merit of mine. Just somehow in his mercy, he looked down and said, you know, I, I want you. I remember as a kid um, choosing teams. You ever do that? You're going to play with a bunch of kids. And maybe sports are so organized in the U.S. today, they don't choose teams anymore. But we've, at recess every day, we were choosing teams. And so two people would be captain, and you take turns choosing. And I still remember wanting to be chosen. Sometimes there was one friend or something I really wanted to be on that team, or especially you want to be on the winning team, right? And, and, and I still remember 
one of our classmates, Lois, she was almost always the last one chosen. What, what did that do to her self-esteem? But see, the cool thing is, is that even if nobody else chose us, God is so awesome. He goes, I want you. I want you. Out of all those millions, I'm choosing you. We're chosen. Isn't that awesome? Not by just some team captain, by God of the universe. He somehow in his mercy looked down at me and said, I want you on my team. We are a chosen people. And and he didn't just choose me individually. He chose me to be part of us, a people of God. Understanding that we are a chosen people just, just, just elevates and gives to God and God gives to us a purpose and a reason and an identity because as I want you, I choose you. And understanding that promotes holiness and it, it gives us strength and it injects our life with purpose. We are a chosen people. Isn't that awesome? Even though nobody else recognizes who we are and our potential and we feel, we feel forgotten like these guys did in a foreign land where they were despised. He says you may feel despised. You may feel that nobody around you recognizes the value of your life. But God has chosen. That's radical. If we can get a grasp of that, it changes the way we look at ourselves, the way we look at God, the way we look at life. He has chosen us. Second thing in our list, not only are you a chosen people, you are a royal priesthood. And again, this is, this is packed with meaning. It's, we're royal. We're royalty of the kingdom. There, there, there's something kingly. We're, we're the ones that are the the prince and princesses that didn't know that we were. We're, we're royal, but we're a royal priesthood. You know, we, 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 on the one hand, teach the priesthood of all believers, but somehow we believe that some are more priestly than others. And yet here, God is saying to all of His people, even those despised by society, He said, you're, you're a priest. I have called you. You're you're my plan for the world. I have called you to stand between me and the people around you. I've chosen you to represent me. I've chosen you to offer sacrifices of praise, to offer sacrifices of thanks, to offer your bodies in living sacrifice, to offer your deeds and your prayers and people and your love and your work. See, when God sees us and when God chose us, He chose us to serve. He chose us out of all the people of the earth, to be His royal priesthood. Is that how we see ourselves when we walk out the door each day? When we wake up in the morning, you know, to God today, I have been chosen by you to be a royal priest in your name on this earth. That's how God sees us. Is that the focus of our attention? And Peter is saying to, to God's people scattered around in different places where they were despised and not understood. And he says, you're you're not a nobody. You are chosen by God to be His royal priesthood. Wow. Not only does He choose us, He chooses us to represent Him. 
to be the go-between, so to speak, between the people of the world and their Creator. What an awesome privilege. If that's not enough, he, he continues on and on. I want to encourage you just to take time to, to study these and, and look them up and, and, and meditate on these. But not only, he says, are you a chosen people, a royal priesthood, he says you're a holy nation. Again, the idea of being set apart. The idea of being, of being holy. The, the, the idea of having a purpose. And the fourth one, he says, you're His own special people. A people belonging to God. And the idea is a, a bought possession is, is the wording. That, that Not only did He choose us, he, he bought us with the blood of Jesus Christ. It goes on in verse, uh, verse 10. Well, I'm sorry, there's a fifth one there in verse 9. He said um, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness in His wonderful light. We're called out. He, he called us out of darkness. He called us out of, out of not understanding and, and not having purpose and, and not getting it into the wonderful light of truth. Isn't that awesome? And, and, Paul, and Peter here is just reminding again and again using all these, these packed with meaning words to describe the people of God. In verse 10, he continues, and he says, Once you were not a people, but now you're not just a people, you're the people of God. You're His family. Before you didn't even have an identity. And now, not just you have an identity, you're part of God's family. Wow. The second part of verse 10 once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We're objects of mercy. Isn't that great? Undeserved. And God just says, you know, you do not deserve it. <laughs> but can I just lavish my mercy upon you? I want to do that. And we just sit back and bask in the mercy of God. Totally undeserved. It's like, why me, Lord? I sure don't deserve it. Because He's a God of mercy. And it reminds these people who felt unworthy and forgotten. And like, did they really have any value? And he says, man, you guys are awesome. Because God is awesome. He chose you. He made you as objects of mercy. In verse 11, we have another one. Dear friends, um, the, the word dear friends means beloved. Again, just a word packed with meaning. Objects of His incessant love. You know, there's probably some of you today that, that, that grew up in homes where you did not have the unconditional love of your mom and dad. And I hurt for you. Because that's what God wants. Because that's just a small indication that we're beloved. Some of us may still feel unloved or unwanted. Some are rejected by their parents, given away. And God the Father just, just looks at you and says, Beloved, my beloved. Wow. We are loved, guys. We're loved. We are objects of the love of the incessant unchanging, perfect love of our Father. Do we get that? 
that just gives us such incredible value and, and purpose and, and fills us to the fullest. If we can grasp the fact that at the deepest part of our being, we are beloved by God. Isn't that awesome? And so to these rejected and, 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 and often dejected and, and despised people, Peter just again and again with all these words is saying, no, you're not nobodies. You're somebodies because God who is everything has made you His beloved. His chosen one. His holy nation. In verse 11, he, 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 he switches to another part of their identity. And he has two further descriptions of who they are in Jesus Christ. And he says in verse 11, Beloved, or dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers. Now those are an interesting choice of words because most of the ones that received these were foreigners and strangers. They weren't living in their own country. Okay? But see, he's, he's saying this to all of them. A, a, a sojourner, it means alongside house. <laughs> That's what the word means there. It's like we would probably call them a resident excuse me, a resident alien. Someone that's not from this country but is living here. That's what he calls all of us as God's people. The second word he uses here is a, is a sojourner or a pilgrim, and it means traveling through. We're, we're just visitors. And see, that's what he's saying. He's saying all of you need to see yourselves that your primary citizenship isn't your U.S. passport or wherever it's from your primary passport is that you're a child of the king. You're, you're a royal priesthood. You're God's chosen people. That's your identity. Yes, we have a culture and, and a nation, and God says, well, I'm going to put you in the U.S., and I'm going to put you in El Salvador. You're going to be born in Japan. God does that and places us all over the world in these different cultures, but then he calls us out of that. Yes, we're still part of that. Yes, we're never going to change the fact that we are from where we are. And we know the language that we know, but he's saying, but, but what you need to understand is that your main identity is that you are sojourners and pilgrims. You are resident aliens. Never feel totally at home where you are because you are not from there. The advantage of growing up as a third culture kid is that on a human social level... I'll probably ne never feel like I'm fully at home anywhere because I've, I've learned to love where I am. And, and, and in many ways, I feel at home in, in Mesquite, Texas. And I was born in Dallas. But, boy, when I go back to Honduras, there's just something, wow, I'm home. But then my parents aren't there anymore and my family's not there anymore. And so, yeah, I'm from here, but then I'm not really, am I? I don't look very Honduran. And, and now I go to Albania, and it's like going home. We love Albania. 13 years there. We would go back tomorrow if God would say go. Are you listening? No. <laughs> he, we know we're where he wants us to be, but we go to Albania and it's like, oh, we're going home. That's where we raised our kids. And I think that a great advantage for me is that I don't really feel fully at home anywhere because I shouldn't. God doesn't want any of us to get too comfortable anywhere because we are pilgrims. We're resident aliens. We're going to a celestial city. 
But He's got us here for a purpose. He does place us in a time. So He's saying to these believers that are scattered, He's saying, you are sojourners and pilgrims. You're the people of God on a pilgrimage. And He wants to send us places that maybe we never imagined because we're going as ambassadors, as God's people, as resident aliens to live out His culture, His principles, His values among those that don't know the truth, among those that have not been rescued yet by His mercy. The last qualifier, descriptor of our identity, we have in verses 15 to 17, for it is God's will that in doing good you should silence ignorant talk of foolish people, live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, live as what? Servants of God. Do you realize that from God's perspective, He sees you as His servants? You know, sometimes we describe somebody so-and-so as a real servant of God, and we're often talking about a pastor or a missionary. But He's saying, no, you. No, you, Joe, that are over there in Bithynia (laughs) and working as a shoemaker, a sandal maker, whatever they were in those days. That you... You're a servant of God. You're not there because of just persecution. Those are just circumstances that God used. You're there as a servant of God. Live like a servant of God. So this identity of being being foreigners and, and pilgrims and servants and called ones and people with a purpose and, and God's royal priesthood He's saying, that's who you really are. Your passport is is secondary. Your your job is secondary. What is primary is who you are. Our identity in Jesus Christ. Now that identity is also hand in glove and intertwined with our calling. Because the who we are and what we're called to do go hand in hand. And, And intertwined in this passage, are at least three ways that we need to live out our calling. He's gone into much detail about our identity in Jesus Christ. And again, there's so much more in each one of these. But he's reminding them time and again with different phrases and words who they are in Jesus Christ because they need to understand their identity to understand their calling. But he unpacks a little bit of our calling And our calling comes in three parts that I see in these verses. Look with me again at verse 9. The first part of our calling is to proclaim. He says in verse 9, But you're a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Why? That you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Why has He called us? Why did He he look at you and say, "I, I want you? Why did He call you out of darkness? He called you out of darkness because He wants you to proclaim with your mouth. You know what I love about this verse? Sometimes we don't know what to say, right? God, I'm not supposed to talk to this person I work with or that I'm in class with, but what do I say? What does it say to proclaim? The excellences of Him who called you out of darkness. Can you talk about how awesome God is? See, I don't have to convince I just have to say, man, the most awesome thing. You know how good God is to me? You know what He did for me? And we go on to say the many jillions of things that God's done for us. And so so He wants us to be people walking around saying, man, do you know what an awesome God I serve? 
Can I tell you how he answered my prayer? And they're going to go, oh, prayer, yeah, right. But, but as they listen, God is going to use that. So if you don't know what to say, hey, talk about the excellencies of God in your life. It, it's testimony. It says, man, God's given me a purpose. I see so many people around me without purpose. Do you know I wake up every day just pumped because I have a reason to live? Because God called me out in mercy. And not only has he chosen me, he's given me a reason to live. Every day is, is injected with purpose. Speak of the excellencies of Him who called us out of darkness into His wonderful light and talk about how wonderful the light is and the things that God has revealed. The first part of our calling that we see in this text is, is the part about talking, about our words, our, our lips. It means to publish or to advertise. It means talking about the heroic deeds of our wonderful God. The second thing, that's just as much a part of our calling, is words aren't enough. In fact, words are often in second and third place. The other thing that's intertwined is here is not just our words, but our walk. It's over and over again in verses 11 to 17, and on through the rest where he talks to families and etc. But in starting in verse 11, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens, and strangers to abstain from sinful desires which war against your, your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans. Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation. And then he goes on to talk about submitting to authority, about how we relate to, to, to each other, about loving the, uh, the brotherhood of believers, fearing God, honoring the king, all those things. Why? Because that's how we show the world that God is who he is. See, evangelism isn't just when we talk. 24-7, we're ambassadors of Jesus Christ. And the world is looking at how we live. This may have been, in, been written in the time of, around the time of Nero, where the Christians were accused, falsely, of, of, of setting Rome on fire. Remember that? It's around that time. But they were often accused of doing wrong things that they hadn't done. And so he's saying, live such exemplary lives. There in the office where you work, on the sports field where you play, wherever you are, live such godly lives that when those that don't believe see you, they're going to glorify God in the day of visitation because they see your good works. See, we're, we're called to be a holy nation, a set apart that means we live by different principles. And it's so easy to get sucked into the way this world sees things, isn't it? And yet, we're always going to be a part of this culture. But we're called continually to help each other figure out what does it mean to live like a Christ follower where He's planted us for now. Our, war, our, our walk is an extremely important part of our communication of Jesus Christ. The third aspect that we have here, not just our words and our walk, but also our works. Did you see that in the text? Look again at verse 12. Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see what? Your good deeds and glorify God. We look on down at verse 15. For it is the will of God that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. See, see our, our, our deeds as the people of God, we're God's hands and feet in the community around us. And what he's saying is, people should be able to observe the quality of your life. They should be able to observe 
the love of your deeds and be able to say there's something different about these people. So, so often we think of evangelism as just going out and talking, and it is. If there's no words, that's, you know, proclaiming the excellencies is obviously a part of it. But evangelism is everything that we do. Making disciples and, and leading others to maturity in Christ. That, that's part of our calling of who we are. We saw on, on, uh, on Friday night, on Matthew 28, the Amanetti, the last words of Jesus Christ, where He says, I'm leaving, I'm, I'm leaving, but you're staying. I'm Lord. I'm leaving you here with a purpose, to make disciples. You'll do it going, you'll do it baptizing, you'll do it teaching, but make disciples. How are we going to do that? How do we carry that out? It's by our whole being. It's who I am. It's what I do. And when there is occasion, the words that I say. In Albania, we, we sought to, to live this out. Albania was the only country in the world that the Constitution declared them atheist. They declared themselves very proudly the first atheist nation. So there was no religion of any kind in atheist Albania, except, of course, the religion of the dictator and the system. Relevant to life, if your identity is you're a religious guy that's coming, well, huh, we'll, we'll treat you nice, but you're irrelevant, right? The other thing is they had a saying that a good friendship is like eating a sack of salt. Now, can you imagine how long it takes to eat a sack of salt? You, you can't eat too much at a time. And they're saying a, a relationship of trust takes that long to build. So they will listen to you politely because they're nice to foreigners, but they won't really listen to you until they trust you. Ah. So how can we live in such a way among the Albanians that they can observe not just that we're foreigners, but that we do what we do because we serve a different God. What can they observe in our good works? So, so we had a community center. We were involved in the public school and with forming their first PTA and their first student council and, and helped in getting a road opened up into our, our community that, that, was, that was messed up and the government didn't have money to do it, so we helped the community figure out how to do it. And why? What does that have to do with evangelism it has everything to do because it's not just what we say it's who we are it's how we live as a family and as a couple and and how we relate to our co-workers all that is a super important part of our testimony because the world is watching they're not just listening they're watching they're observing and if my life doesn't invite questions then i have nothing to say our identity in Jesus Christ demands that we live holy lives. And that's why Peter is concerned here. Don't just live holy lives because in the end it's better for you. Live holy lives because you are God's representatives. That may be all the people around you know about who Jesus Christ is. It's what they see in you. That's why I need to be holy. It's not just because in the end I get more blessing. It's not about me. It's about Him. It's about His purposes on this earth. And Peter's saying, I urge you, live like God wants you to live because they're watching. And your words and your works and your walk all combine beautifully together when we follow Christ so that the world glorifies God on the day of visitation because they see in us and they observe in our lives and they see in our works and they hear in our praises of Him what an awesome God we serve. Our God calls us to be a missional people. 
a missional church. There's a lot of implications for this. One of the implications is that our identity, our calling, and our mission are in community. Some of you are trying to find out, some of you young people are asking, God, what does this mean for me? Where am I supposed to live out my calling? Am I supposed to be, besides being an alien and a foreigner as a Jesus follower, am I supposed to be an alien and a, former, and, 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 and a, and a foreigner in another country to live out my faith there? That decision is made in community. We miss a huge blessing in our Western culture when I just come to my leaders and say, well, God spoke to me. Well, wait a minute. Where, where's God speaking in community? See, God's it's not an individual God. Did you notice the adjectives? We're a people. We're called to be a nation. We're God's people together. We, look, we mentioned the other night, Acts 13, where, where God speaks to the leadership of the church and says, leadership, you set apart so-and-so-and-so-and-so. In that case, Paul and Barnabas for the work that I've called them to do. God speaks through leadership, and I love the model of your local church here. But if God's people don't get it, it doesn't work. See, together we have to discern God's will. And, and, and when the young people that are struggling, where are the, where are the home group leaders and, and, and the mature believers and the elders in the missions committee praying and talking with them? And let's together discern God's will. That's the idea of being the people of God. It's as a people of God, as a local community, saying, okay, God, in our local community of believers, how do you want us as your people to live it out here in Lubbock and to the ends of the earth? That's a conversation you need to be continually having because it's an ongoing and never-ending process. Let's never forget that our calling is a community calling. It's countercultural in our Western society because it's all about me. It's about what God told me. A big blessing for Gloria and for me has been to submit to and together with mutually to the leadership of our sending church in Honduras. We decided to go to Albania because as leaders praying and seeking God together, God made it evident to the group of leaders that that's what God wanted. And this may be, seem weird to you culturally, but when the board of Camino Global asked me if I wanted to be or if I would consider being president of Camino Global, one of the first things I did was call the elders, pastors of my church in Honduras, and say, we need to have a Skype conversation. I can't come down there right now. And we talked more than once. I said, I want you guys to tell me. Help me discern. Is this from God or not? I need you. You're my local sending church. You know, y'all sent me to Albania, and now it looks like God is changing that. Is that from God, or is that just me? There is wisdom in community. Another implication is that our testimony has to be integral and whole to be effective. If we think evangelism is just an activity, it may include activities, but if we think it's just an activity, we don't get God's calling on our life. It is a 24-7 calling. The reason we breathe is to be God's holy people and to show the world around us through our lives, through our lips, through our works, who He really is. I want to close by some specific challenges that I think come from God's Word this morning. So I'm going to ask you just to, to close your eyes for a minute. 
I think the first calling that God is saying to each one of you, as He's reminded us this morning who we are in Jesus Christ, He calls every one of us to live as His people. He calls us to a walk. He calls us to good works. He calls us to words that are in line with our identity of who we are in Jesus Christ. And and, and maybe you've done this before, but I would like for you this morning as a way, maybe for the first time, maybe reaffirming something you did years ago, but just say, God, here I am. I want to live as a royal priesthood, as a chosen person and part of your chosen community. I want my words and my walk and my works to reveal the glories of my God. If you can make that commitment to God, that's His calling to every believer. If you just want to reaffirm that calling to God today and say, here I am, use me where you've planted me as an alien and foreigner in Lubbock or wherever you are, just stand up. This isn't for anybody to see. It's just for a way for you to kind of physically say, God, here I am. I want to, I want to reaffirm my commitment. My Father, you, you see my brothers and sisters, and, and even more important, you, you see their hearts that we don't. Father God, I commend my brothers and sisters to You. Father, it's hard to be out there as aliens and foreigners. We even forget we're aliens and foreigners, and we think we're from here. And Father, there's so many distractions. We get distracted by our problems and our work and finances and just all kinds of stuff, Father, that, that, that take our attention away from why you've left us here. Father, I thank you for the heart of each brother and sister here, those that are standing and those that are sitting. Sometimes those that are sitting are the most honest. Father, deal with each one of us where we are. Oh, God, use my brothers and sisters to live in your holiness to be filled with good deeds that show the world who You are. Give them opportunities to proclaim how awesome You are. Father, use them as instruments for You to change the world around them. Because of Jesus Christ, we ask this. Amen. You can be seated. But I want to give you another challenge, a second challenge. One way of interpreting Matthew 28 that we saw the other night is the command is to go. My dad always said that it says that every believer should be planning to go because that's the command, but willing to stay if I have to. Are you willing to go? If the leadership of the church came, came up to you and said, we're praying about you going to India or wherever, are you willing to explore God's call? Go ahead and, and, and close your eyes again and just really think about that. And again, maybe some of you have done this before. Maybe you haven't. This doesn't mean you're going to go. It means you're willing to go, and you're willing to explore that with the leadership of your church. If there's anybody here this morning that would just like to say, okay, God, here I am. I have no idea how how you can use me. (sighs) But here I am. Here I am, Lord. If you want to use me 
to live out my faith among the nations. Go ahead and stand up if you want to say that to God this morning. You'll have a chance later on your own to say that to your leadership. But if, if you want to say to God, here I am. Maybe you'll never go. Maybe, maybe you'll end up being here. But he wants that heart that says, God, whatever you want. If you want to say that to God this morning, I am willing to go. I've noticed among your missionary body that most of them are even older than I am. Thank God for their wisdom. I love it that some of them used to be leaders here in your church. But, but, but young people, where are you? Has God stopped calling? Who's willing to stand up and say, here I am, Lord, if you want to use me? I'm willing to explore that. If you want to send me to the nations, I would love to pour out my life among other people who have not heard, who don't have witnesses among them, and go be your representative there. This is between you and God for now. It will be between you and the leaders of your church to discern what that means for you. Go ahead and stand where you are. I, I would love just to, to pray for you. Just saying, God, I'm willing to go if that's what you want. Father God, thank you for each man and woman and young person and old person and everybody here that's standing. You know, again, their hearts. And Father, they're saying here today, here I am. I recognize you as Lord, and if you want to take me to the ends of the earth, that scares me to death, but here I am. Father, use this body to help them to discern what it is that you want to do with them. Thank you that you have chosen them to be your servants somewhere. And may they diligently seek you as to where that might be. We ask that you would bless them. We ask that people from many tongues and languages and nations and ethnic groups would understand that Jesus is Lord because of their willingness to go and this body's willingness to, to come around them and, 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 and send them as extensions of this church. Now I want to ask the leadership of the church, whether you're an elder, have another position of leadership, small group leaders, would you all just come up here to the front? I want to pray for you. I know you all have a lot of small groups and a lot of you are small group leaders that are interacting regularly with the different people from your church. Y'all have an, an awesome responsibility because you're part of the Holy Spirit's voice to every one of the brothers and sisters that are here, those standing and those sitting, to help them discern how does God want them to live out their faith, where? And I want to encourage you not just to listen when they come to speak, but maybe God's saying to you, hey, you guys, set apart so-and-so and so-and-so. Are you taking the initiative to approach people and say, you know, God, we've been praying as leaders and we really feel like God has something for you. Would you be willing to go to Albania or wherever? That, 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 that's biblical. We need, to, we need to recuperate that. That constant seeking of God as leadership, saying, what are you doing among our family? Father, thank you for each man and woman that you have put in leadership of this church. And Father, what an awesome responsibility we have. And we're not the Holy Spirit. What if we're not listening right, Father? 
So just help us together humbly before you to ask you and to question together and to, and to seek together how you want every member of this family, of this congregation, to live out their faith. Give them discernment as to who's ready to go and who's not and those that are willing to go but aren't ready to have the humility to submit and learn and wait. Father, we commend this church to you. We commend the leadership to you. Use them as your voice, as part of the way that you're going to lead many in this congregation. Father, I would ask you that you would use this church as you have already used them to bless the nations, that you would multiply that. And then not just one or two, but that dozens would go out. And that everyone would go out every day as called ones to proclaim and to live and to show by good works that we are in submission to our Lord Jesus Christ. So we commit this church to you and their leadership with thanksgiving for all that you've done and for all the incredible things that you're going to do in Lubbock and to the ends of the earth because they are obedient. They understand their calling and they're living it out. So we commend them to you with thanksgiving and thank you, thank you for giving Gloria and me the privilege of sharing these few days with them. We thank you in the name of Jesus.